Casting with Kerry Jones. My guest this week has what many of us fly fishermen would call a perfect job. A fishery manager and gilly at Loch Lodge, County Galway, Connemara. Over the years, we have shared many days of float together and many nights talking fish in the bars around the west. In this episode, he talks of his love of sea trout and reading salmon smolts and the many tales of guiding on the loch and the dairy clare butts. Welcome to my chat with Colin Follen. Hello, Colin. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing? Been some time, haven't you? I think it was three years I was I, over with you last. It's it's. It must be about three years, Kerry. Yeah, yeah. Don't leave it so long now. The next time, you know. No. Well, I was hoping to come over um, this September. Purely, obviously, to do some fishing as well. But I was gonna. There's a few people I wanted to do the podcast with, obviously, including yourself. But because it's lockdown yeah. and everything, that put a stop <clears> to all that. Then, so I wasn't able to do it. But uh, I hopefully I'll be next year if the restrictions allow. I'm hoping to spend a couple of months like I did back a few years ago. There, then. Yeah, sure. Uh, you're you're an adopted Irishman now, Kerry. Uh, you've been here so often. You know yeah, what I mean? that's right. You, know, you have a lot of good friends here. You know I what have, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, at the moment, yeah. then you're um, you're in hibernation, I guess, in Galway. I am. I am. I'm just. Uh, Finished with the with the season, and usually what I do now this time of the year is I usually maybe tie flies for a couple of months. But uh, I tied up until about last week, and I just I just put my fly tying gear away. I just. Uh, so what normally happens then? It. You you spend the whole fishing season then, more or less living in Aina, is it? Yeah, usually what I do is uh, I don't do as much of it now on the carob as I used to do. But like I would be out on the carob, you know, from from mid-February till till kind of May right. and you know I'd be bringing people out a lot in uh, March and April for the the duck fly and the buzzers and the olives and then what I do is I would go to Ina uh, sometime in May to get ready for the or even early June to get ready for the season coming ahead yeah, yeah. I suppose it takes maybe two or three weeks to uh, yeah. get the boats in order and you know little bits of uh tidying up you have to do around the place and getting set get the rods you know get all the landing nets done all the life jackets serviced make sure you have plenty of wet gear uh paint the oars paint the floorboards paint the boats trim a bit of grass fill in a few potholes rebuild a few weirs you know because uh the, the winter wear and tear on the on the on the gravel in the fall and stream yeah, yeah. you know yeah, I'd be there then, and I, I always say to people, don't don't come to uh, Lachina, don't come to Connemara until uh, the solstice, the twenty first of June. That's always the, the, the that's the that's the start of the season in in my in my opinion, always. Yeah. Because I've 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 noticed it even even when I was a child going out to Connemara with my father to go fishing for sea trout, we'd always noticed that around the twenty first of June, you. you 
you know, you'd always get a break in the weather, quite often get a new moon there, so there's big tides and, you know, sea trout, uh, we were only interested in sea trout in them days. Yeah. Sea, sea trout will run on wet rocks. I, I know that's that's a kind of, a, you know, a phrase pe- people say too often, but uh, they will run on wet rocks, Kerry. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I remember uh, there's a an old man, uh, Kieran Power, he'd kill me now if I called him an old man, but uh, <laughs> he he used to always tell me about watching the, the sea trout uh, running when the, when there was little or no water in the river. And he was telling me what they used to do was, and I actually witnessed it about uh, three years ago, but he told me this about 20 years ago. They'll, they'll swim up to the, the, you know, as far as they can go, uh, I'm talking about, say, below a weir now in a river where there's only a small little trickle of water coming down. And he'll swim up to that small little trickle of water. Yeah. And he'll turn himself broadside to, to use his body as a dam for that trickle of water to build up. Sorry. And then he'll re- readjust his head and his position and he'll, he'll shoot up, it, up the little uh, bitting of a stream. I, I thought he was uh, having me on when he was saying this to me, but I've I seen it myself about three years ago. Uh, and I've seen them just flying across uh, gravel, you know, with the backs out of the water. When they want to go, they'll, they'll go. There's, there's no problem. Yeah, yeah. This, so, with, this, with the sea trout fishing over in Wales, really, the best sea trout and the biggest sea trout normally come when the, uh, the foxgloves come out, you know, the purple foxgloves. It's probably the, roughly yeah. the same time, really, then. I'd, I'd say so, yeah. Yeah, Aina is known for sea trout, isn't it? More than probably more than a salmon, well, even I, though they, they've you've got salmon there. Yeah, well, well, traditionally, uh, Aina was the top sea trout lake in Ireland, uh, and that's a fact. It, yeah, it yeah. was the top. You know, other lakes will have, you know, an abundance uh, one year, and you know they'll struggle other years and stuff like that. But Aina was always, uh, you know, at least at least one of the premier sea trout lakes in Ireland. Yeah. Screeb was one stage as well, pretty good as well, wasn't oh, it? But that's not the same. Screeb was fantastic. Uh, Costello was fantastic. But the nicest sea trout fishery, the whole lot in Connemara, was uh, in Bermore. There's a series of lakes there. Uh, Logine, Coreel, Bunahask. There's a heap of them in Bermore. They, they were just absolutely super, super, super sea trout lakes. You know, you'd get a good few in it, you know, but to be better quality, you know, you'd be getting the kind of two, three, and four pounders in that place where in Ina you'd be getting the, you know, the three quarter pounders and the pound fish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ina has always kind of been that way, you know, when it was prolific for sea trout, you know, they, they were generally smaller as well, you know, there was, uh, you know, I have books and records that go back there, you know, over a hundred years and, uh, you know, they, they were all kind of smallish, they were smallish fish. Incidentally, then, about a hundred years ago, I think what was it? Uh, about nineteen oh six, nineteen oh eight. Two English lads. They stayed in a hotel in recess in Connemara. It's it's, it's gone now. The hotel, yeah. and they just fished uh, Ina and Banley Hinch for a whole year, and they recorded it. And they got a good few large brown trout. You know, I'd say they were getting one every week. Now, you'd have to realise that they'd be probably trolling as well, you see. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Ines fly only this. And, you know, they, they were always getting a kind of a, a three or four or a five or a six pound brown trout. Right. Uh, on a weekly basis, you know what I mean? 
Now, when I was growing up, uh, Fish and Ina in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, we never, you'd never see a, a decent brown trout, you know, like, like most of the lakes in, uh, you know, in uh, acidic lakes, you know, the, the granite lakes, the, yeah. the, the feeding isn't in it, so you don't, you don't get big brown trout. But then, uh, since I've been working there, and I've, I suppose this is my 25th year now, uh, working in Loch Ina, so that's a long time, you know, after about six or seven years of me being there, all of a sudden, we started catching, you know, 10-pound brown trout. Wow. Regularly. Do you know what I mean? Like, I got three one day. Three big lads one day. Now, I was I was after them. You know what I mean? Uh, Why do you think that is, but, then? All of a sudden, they started to show the big trout. Well, people were saying they were ferox, and uh, I knew exactly what they were, and I, I let them I let them off, you know what I mean, because there was a great uh, bit of romance and mystery about it, you know, and... Yeah, yeah. People were spreading rumors that uh, I was putting furlox in the lake and blah 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 blah. But the <laughs> fact of the matter is that they're just uh, sea trout that didn't go back out to sea because the sea lice problem was was so bad at sea. They, ah. they just when a sea trout smolt uh, or a sea trout kelt gets uh, you know covered in sea lice, its immediate its immediate reaction is to turn around and head back to fresh water to get rid of the sea lice. Whereas a salmon smolt or a salmon kelt they're they don't worry about getting covered in sea lice because they're just fully blinkered and focused on heading to the North Atlantic to go feeding. You see, so unfortunately, a lot of them salmon smolts and salmon kelts will die. You know, a hundred miles off the coast from being emaciated with sea lice, where you see the sea trout coming back in covered in sea lice. Yeah. So there is actually a small limestone belt going through uh, the Ina Valley. So there's a lot of sedges on it, there's buzzers on it, there's some mayflies on it, there's types of olives on it. And then you have all the terrestrials, places full of grasshoppers and daddy longlegs, moths. Uh, and they'll feed on fry as well, so there's plenty of feeding for the minute. Now, to be honest with you, the last three or four years, we've only seen maybe, you know, two or three of them fish being caught a year. Uh, whereas 10 years ago, we'd be catching, I don't know, 30, 40 of them per year. Yeah. You know, my, my, my dad got a very big one out there uh, on a black pen, I imagine. And he, he was 13 pound, 10 ounces. Now wow. that's, that's some brownie to get. Yeah. Uh, and I can imagine they could be I, mistaken for uh, ferox or like big browns, purely because even if there are sea trouts, they, they lose that sylvanus then, do they? Because they're not going to sea. Oh, but, they come back to but, their natural colours. But sure, the, the only reason I know they're sea trout uh, is because... Uh, I took scale samples of them. I took about 15 scale samples and I got uh, I got Paddy Gargan to look at them from the fishery board and most of them, all of them, sorry, had been at sea uh, at least once. Some of them had been uh, right. two or three times at sea. So what do you think they feed on now, to get to that size then? It used to be full of char. It's not anymore. So right. I, I presume they've gobbled up all the char. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're, they're just... Uh, on any fry, I suppose, like... Fish. They're taking the small fish. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember I was fishing with, uh, I was fishing with an old Dutch fella one day, about 10 years ago, and all he wanted was a salmon. He didn't care about brown trout. He didn't care about sea trout. All he wanted was salmon. Yeah. So he hooked this big fella anyway, and I, I had a size six long shank green peter on his top dropper. On the top dropper? And he hooked... On the top dropper, he hooked this thing about ten pound, right? No, it was a, it was a big brown trout, 
and he was there. Yes, it's a, it's the salmon. It's the salmon. He says, and all he wanted to do was get the salmon into the boat and get back to the hotel as fast as possible to drink wine to celebrate it. You see. Yeah. So when I was putting the fish into the net, he looked at it and he looked at me and he says, it's a trout. And I said, it is, it's bass, it's a fish of a lifetime. I said, it's a fish of a lifetime. He goes, it's not a salmon, it's a trout. And I says, I know, but it's the fish of a lifetime. Throw him back, he says, throw him back, just like that, you know. So as I was taking the, <laughs> the green peter out of his mouth, there was a brown trout, half digested about three quarters of a pound with a tail sticking out, out of the, the fish's mouth, you know. Wow. And I said, look at that, Baz, what do you think of that? And he goes, greed. <laughs> I don't think you'd but, really appreciated uh, what he had, did he? Not a torture. The, the, the Europeans, are, they, they hold different masses on things. I remember uh, I was asked to bring this fella, he was a friend of my father, up the Carib to go fishing for uh, trolling for pike. Yeah, and he was staying in uh, he was staying in a hotel in Galway. Andre was his name, lovely old Swiss man. So I went to meet him the night before in the hotel, and he says, uh, "We go to fish for pike on the carob tomorrow." And I says, "Yes." He says, "We go trolling." I says, "Yes." He says, uh, "My friend has been in Bog Bay, and he has caught many pikes in Bog Bay." Now, as you know, and I know, Bog Bay is up in Oakshire. And I was keeping my boat in uh, the commercial boat club in Galway City, which is about uh, 20 miles below yeah. Bog Bay. You see? Yeah, yeah. So there's no yeah. way I'm going. And it was April as well. And as well as that, there was a good few spring salmon hanging around uh, and a down bay and the narrows. And I was actually getting a few of them, to be honest with you. Yeah. So I said to myself, Too far. I'll, I'll bring them up to Anna Town and I'll tell them it's Bog Bay. You see, because he, <laughs> he, he, would wouldn't know. Know, he wouldn't know, he wouldn't know the difference anyway, you, see, you know. <clears throat> so anyway, we're trolling around on a down bay anyway in front of the pier. And uh, he says to me, this is Bog Bay? And I said, yeah, this is Bog Bay. And he goes, my, my friend said it's full, full of islands and rocks and stuff. I said, oh, that's down the other end of it. I said, it's too dangerous down there. I said, and the next thing, wallop. Spring salmon about eleven or twelve pound no. took his toby right, and he's reeling it in, and again he gets to the net and he goes, "It's not a pike," and I said, "No, it's a bar of silver salmon." I says, "Come on, we get him in quick," Jeez. and he was just, you know, so people value fish different ways. Like I yeah, value yeah. sea trout and I value salmon and I value brown trout. You know, so each to their own. Everyone has their own. Uh, That's the great thing about fishing that. The locks over there, like, you know, you don't, like, over here you're fishing for brown trout or rainbow trout. Over there you can get stuck into anything, some nice sea trout, some grills, pike even you on can. the fly. Yeah. You can have, what I find over in the West, you can have a fish of a lifetime at any moment on the lakes over there. You can, you, you can of course, yeah, on, on any of the lakes. Like, I'll, I'll tell you a good one. Uh, I, I, I went out for an afternoon there a few years ago on Loch with, uh, with a guest just for a couple of hours and there was a lovely wave blown the whole way down the lake and I said I can get the kind of the road shore now from, from the top the whole way down uh, and you wouldn't have to touch the oar you know it'll just carry you the whole way down and as soon as I started casting like two or three casts I got a char and I said to the guest with me I says that's it now we, we can we, we may as well reel up and go home I says because any day you get a char you never get anything else. There's there's something wrong with the air pressure or something like that. Like that's now that's what the old old timers used to tell me because 
I've grilled them all for information, you know, because when you when you spend your life fishing a place uh, like I'm fishing Ina for over forty years, like yeah, yeah, they said once you get when you get a chair, that's it. But that same drift, uh, which was only about maybe four hundred yards, I got the chair first. I got a pound and a quarter sea trout, a pound and three quarters brown trout, and a ten and a half pound salmon. Wow! So that 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 That's was that was, uh, that was exceptional. Yeah. So how did you now, get into fly people, fishing to start with? I suppose when I was about four years of age, uh, my father would bring me up the the car up every Saturday and Sunday, or up on Loch Mask. You know, uh, early in the year you'd be trolling brickings. You know, the, yeah. the small minnows. And then coming on the olives, you know, well, the duck fly, you'd start, you'd, you'd start fly fishing for them. We didn't, we didn't fish buzzers or anything in them days. Yeah. Uh, we just fished small millermen and black pennels and pupae and stuff like that. Yeah. And then the olives. And then you'd have the dap and the mayfly, uh, which was always great fun. I, I suppose the best fun uh, for the mayfly was, you know, going in on the islands, uh, gathering the mayflies. That was, you know, that was very enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. So that's how I started. I had no say in the matter. I was just brought fishing uh, from the age of four every Saturday and every Sunday. And then when I was about, I suppose I was about seven or eight then, I, uh, you know, I wanted to kind of, you know, do all the canals and the rivers and stuff in Galway City and, you know, around the place. I just had a fascination with rivers. Yeah. And my mother and father, they enrolled me in swimming classes and I had to get certificates, you know, that I passed. They wouldn't let me go by myself. Yeah. I had a, a life-saving uh, course done by the age of, I think, 11 years of age. Do you know what I mean? Where I was oh, actually right. able to dive into the water and save somebody's life and bring them back on, on shore and stuff. And I just, uh, I just, it consumed me, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, just absolutely consumed me. There was nothing else in my life except fishing for... Yeah, yeah. Oh, 10 years or so and then I I uh, I got very serious you know I was I was fishing all the competitions as many people do and that just drives your drives you mad altogether you know Did you have your own boat on? Oh the... yeah. yeah Oh yeah 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 Well what I did was I joined uh, two clubs in Galway uh, the Corrib Club and the Commercial Boat Club and you could you could uh, you could take one of the club boats there which you see the lower lake it's it's only well in them days you'd only fish it up until uh, you know you wouldn't really get a good mayfly on it. So the better fishing was was always up the lake. Uh, so we we always kept a boat in Birch Hall and we always kept a boat in Greenfields. So we used to have two boats, one in Birch Hall, one in Greenfields, and we also had a boat in the commercial. And then we could use the the two club boats from the two clubs in Galway City. Yeah, and we had a boat on mask as well over at uh, Ferry Bridge. Uh, I know, yeah. And we had the use we had the use of the boat in Carra uh, across on the Bangalore side, and we had a boat on Carra up in the uh, up in the top lake and Carra there up at uh, Yeah, we we had, we had a lot of boats. Well, you see, my father was in the, uh, the tackle wholesale business. He was the managing director of a French company called Plateau. And they supplied a lot of stuff in Ireland. Uh, he designed uh, fly rods with them, you know, nice parabolic rods. Right. Uh, they were they were mostly first people ever to do the the flying condom. Uh, it was called a stibel. 
French eels, they call them. Oh, and yeah. then the fly, flying condom came after the, the French eels. But, but Plateau had the, the original flying condom. Uh, I know that for a fact because I had it before anyone knew what a flying condom was. Yeah. And getting plenty of it. I didn't know to throw it upstream. Uh, I was throwing it across uh, in the salmonware in Galway, getting a, getting a fair few fish. But it's only when you started, you know, when I was taught to throw it upstream that uh, it really was effective then, you know. So what difference does it make when you fish it upstream? The action, is it? I think... Because uh, you're fishing it's, deeper, it's, no it's, doubt. It's... it's, it's, it's it's not fishing deeper, you see, because you're controlling it with, with the rod the whole time. You, you you know, you're using the tip of the rod. I think it's just the, the shock, you know, because it's it's coming downstream towards them like an absolute bullet. Whereas if you're throwing I it see. across, uh, it's just dragging almost like a fly. You know, it's slowed down completely and they have a lot of time to look at it and they can just move out of the way. But in fast, slow water, and this thing is charging at them uh like a like a laser beam in the water, you know what I mean? They, they got to make a decision quick. Yeah, they, they do. Yeah, they do. Now, I I I use that technique as well sometimes with, uh, you know, with, when I'm fly fishing for salmon. If the, if the fish if the fish won't, if they're coming up and swirling at you, say on rivers now, and they're not they're not milling it, what I'll do then is I'll go way down below them and I'll start firing uh, sunray shadows and collie dogs. Francis, monkeys, all them kind of things. Let them down and uh, strip them down. You know, strip them upstream. Right. Uh, people do look at people do look at me thinking I'm mad, but uh, you have to be a bit radical if you want to uh, catch salmon because there's no rhyme or reason to catch no. salmon. But sure, they're not no. feeding in fresh water. So why do they open them out to take something? You see, so yeah. you have to uh, entice them to take. You it. have to. Yeah, yeah. Make make them take it. Make them take it. Yeah. yeah. So did he have a tackle shop? Yeah, so then Plateau pulled out of Ireland. Uh, they were downscaling all their business. So we bought all the stock from the warehouse and then we opened uh, we opened a shop in Galway. It was only about two years before the infamous rod license dispute in Ireland, uh, which I'm not going to go into if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. 88, uh, so, so we only 88, yeah. So we only had, and it also coincided with the collapse of the sea trout in Connemara. So, you know, you got a kind of a double, a double whammy. Yeah. So we only had the shop for <clears throat> maybe three years, and we had to close it then, uh, unfortunately. But, yeah. And was it know, him that I, sort I, of I, got you, sorry, was it him that got you into Aina then, was it? Did he have an involvement with Aina? No. What happened was, uh, when we had the fish and tackle shop, there was a year where we actually had the letting of Loch Aina, so we controlled the boats on it and the bookings and stuff like that, because the the... the, the the fishery had changed hands once right. or twice, you see, and it was just kind of in limbo. So, but no, uh, how, how Ina came about with me was uh, I started in Balnehinch. Uh, I was the assistant estate manager there. I started in Balnehinch in nine, 95, I think. And the manager of Balnehinch at the time, uh, he, he's not with us any longer, unfortunately, John O'Connor. He owned Lachina Lodge with his wife, uh, who Maura, who still runs it. And uh, I was working uh, on Ban the Hinge, but I was but I was staying in Lachina because they knew that I knew Lachina, and there was a there was another young fishery manager there at the time. Again, he's no longer with us, Niall Fingleton, uh, poor lad. But uh, I would give Niall a hand on the Ina fishery, and I would work on the Ban the Hinge fishery. The sea trout made a, a very, very fantastic recovery 
around 97, you see. Right. What happened was the, the fish farm that was in the bay back then, in Bertrabai Bay near Roundstone, the sea lice was absolutely atrocious, uh, 87, 88, 88, 89. And then around 90, 91, they followed the cages there. Uh, no, sorry, uh, 97, 98. They followed the cages. They left them fallow when the sea trout smolts and salmon smolts and kelts were going to sea. And the next thing, you know, you, you'd gone from catching uh, like 20 or 30 sea trout a year in Loch Aina to, you know, 700 sea trout a year. And you have to realise there was only there was only a handful of people fishing it. And uh, what they were doing was, if they went out in the lake and they got 20 sea trout, they'd write 10 in the book. You know, they always wrote down exactly half of what they caught because they were enjoying this little you know, uh, freedom and stuff and no other boats there and they wanted to keep it for themselves, you see. So that's when I suppose I got fully involved in Ina then uh, and I left Banahinch uh, to push Ina. You were, even with, you were even with me back in them days, you know, because I was getting all the journalists in. That's that's 20 years ago. Remember you were with yeah, Chris, Chris Dawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did an art. Yeah. Just uh, imagine what it would be like if they kept them follow for about two or three years. Wow. Kerry, they come back in one year. They come back in one year. Sea trout are the most resilient things ever. Absolutely ever. They're just, if you have it's, if you have a clean bay, you'll have a healthy fishery. They've just come back in one year. They won't be big, but they, they will come back. I've seen it. Like, I'm, I'm hanging my head off the wall there now for 25 years there, uh, you know, thinking you're going to have a great run of sea trout, and you don't. And then thinking you're not going to have a good run of sea trout, and the next thing they're crawling up the rod. You know what I mean? There's, you just really can't tell. It would be just brilliant if uh, they were given a chance for three years all over Ireland. You know, I I, I would love to see it. It's just shocking what's going on with, with yeah. salmon farming. It's, it's, it's absolutely brutal. It's poison. It has destroyed. It's destroyed everywhere. Every sea trout fishery in Ireland is destroyed uh, because of salmon farms. Yeah, I think, I think hopefully things are starting to change because the internet and the different platforms of social media is coming more and more to the front and more people are aware of it. And hopefully it's a matter of time, things will change. Well, you see, the thing is, uh, that's all well and good, you see. Uh, but the ordinary person doesn't know anything about sea lice or salmon farms. All they think is they see organic on smoked salmon in a supermarket and they go, oh, that must be good, I'll buy yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Now, the only, way, the only way that it's going to change, there is only one, uh, resolution to the sea lice problem and that's put the fish farms on land. That is the only solution. There is no other solution. Well, onto lakes? Farming. What do you mean on land? Put, put them onto land. Build, build, build them in... Purpose-built pools. Like... Aircraft carriers, you know, that are no longer in use. They're, they're starting to do it in uh, Japan, Sweden. You know what I mean? That's that's the future of salmon farming. You, you yeah. won't have many escapes. You'll have... Uh, very little diseases. They can be monitored. They're not monitored here at all. Uh, they can do whatever the hell they want out at sea. There, nothing happens to them. They can build their smokeries in the like old aircraft carriers or old factories. They can have processing plants there. You know, it's it's, it's, the, yeah. it's the only solution. You, the only solution. Going on to the salmon, you do get salmon over in uh, Aina as well, don't you? No, what happened was, you see, uh, Ina was always a sea trout fishery. And when I started working for the co-op, there was a hatchery uh, down at the Derry Clare Butts. Small fertilization unit. You 
So we, we came up with a five-year uh, enhancement plan with the co-op. And we operated the hatchery for, we operated it for two, nearly three years. And what we would do is we would net the rivers ourselves uh, and get our brood stock from them. And we'd strip them in the hatchery and we'd rear them. And we would bring them to unfed fry, uh, is the term we would use. And basically, if we had 200,000 of them there, what we would do is we would release about 150,000 all over the system, just dump them in buckets here, there, and everywhere. And then we would keep 50,000. And then what we would do is we would troll Derry Clare Lake with a, with a micro mesh conical net and we would collect plankton. And maybe an hour's trolling this net, you'd fill about uh, a pint glass of plankton. There was a a, a plastic pint glass at the bottom of it. It took about an hour to fill that with plankton. And then we'd get a five-gallon drum uh, and fill it with water and put the plankton into the five gallons of water and put a plank across the trays where the fry were and put a small pinhole in the plastic drum. And it would take roughly about 24 hours to drip the five gallons into the, uh, into the, the tray with the, with the fry in it. So we were feeding them fried plankton. And then what we would do is when they were of a certain size, we transported them to the fishery hatchery in Kong. Yeah. And they mined, they mined it because that's a rearing station. Uh, we only had a fertilization unit and they would bring the 50,000 salmon to, uh, to smolt. And I used to, like, I, I used to base myself in Kong then because I'd, I'd be working in the hatchery uh, six days a week with them, you see, because every single one of them, uh, we tagged coded wire up in their nasal cavity and we had to clip all their adipose fins. So I clipped 50,000 adipose fins one one uh, one spring, uh, and then we would bring them back to, we had three sites designated. We had one on Loch Ina, we had one on Banahinch Lake, and we had one on Ourid Lake, which is in the upper Banahinch uh, fishery. And we would put uh, a big cage out there and hold the salmon in the cage until they were, until they, you know, smoltified, until, you know, they started to get a bit of fungus on them. That means then you just drop the net because they're, they're wanting to get to, uh, you know, to get to, to salt water. Yeah, they're yeah. Ch- changing from, from a saltwater fish to a freshwater fish. And in that smoltification process, that's where they take the imprint of where they return to. It's not where they spawned because, like, we also introduced carob fish into, uh, into Ina. And we mixed carob fish with with uh, balnehinch fish. Well, so we salmon, had three Yeah, we had three yeah. different strains of fish because the balnehinch fish uh, they average about seven pounds the grills. So they were too big. Uh, they were just fodder for the drift nets at sea. So we wanted to, we wanted to uh, follow the example like what Delphi had done, you know, introducing a smaller strain of salmon in so they could get through the, the drift nets. And oh. we, we 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 opted for carob fish because they're they're. You know they're all around four pounds, yeah. and they're proven. They're proven returners. They're they're a fantastic strain of salmon. So we mixed. We we had three strains, as I said. So we had Balnehinch, Balnehinch, Balnehinch carob, and carob carob. They were the three strains of fish we put in, and each strain had a a, a, a certain code, 
and each uh, pen that they were in in the three lakes had a certain code. So we were able to tell exactly uh, when we'd retrieved the code the following year after we caught them uh, what fish they were and from what uh, cage they came from and stuff like that. So we just did that for about two years and well, three years, it was just the, like the run of salmon that uh, that came in. Like I was working in Van Hinch at the time and say 96, I think we had 216 salmon uh, caught out of the castle for the year. And I think 95, there was only around 20. Wow. And 94, 93, 92, it was all the same, 20, 30 fish. Uh, I was, was looking at, uh, you know, maybe about... 15 salmon a year and then from once we got the co-op going and the hatchery it averaged about 60 a year then you see so it, it, uh, it really exploded to be honest with you when they took the drift nets off in 2008 you know we went from kind of like 40 or 50 fish up to 80 fish and then in 2009 I think we had 100 fish and then 2010 we had 130 so like the, the pulling of the drift nets off, off the sea made a immediate uh, impact, you know, for, for the good. It was great. Yeah. Uh, Does it, is, you it know, the, is it the same with Aina? The bigger fish will come first in the spring, and then, you know, come June, then the, the grills come in? No, Aina wouldn't be like that at all. Uh, we don't have uh, a spring spring run of fish. Uh, we're, we're, we're grills. Uh, we're all summer fish. Uh, you'll get the odd fish there in maybe... March or April, and I, I mean the odd one carrying out. There's there's very yeah. very 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 few of them, but our spring fish tend to come in May. And again, you know, when I say spring fish, I'm talking about two sea winter fish. You know, yeah, they, they, they'll come in June, they'll come in July. You know, it's not uncommon to see fifteen or twenty pounders, you know, bars of silver coming in 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 July. It, like it, I've hooked plenty of them. Really, in Ina, that size. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How I big is the one you had? You know the picture I mean? Um, the one, the thumbnail I'm using for this podcast. Oh, yeah. What yeah. is uh, He was only he, he was around 10 or so. That, was that on the lake? Yeah, yeah. It, it was around 10, I think, yeah. Dark fish, wasn't it? They look, look very similar to a brown. Yeah. So he'd been yeah, in no, for a couple of dark. months, probably. Yeah, there was a lovely wave on the lake that yes, day. Yes, I tell you something. I remember that day now very well. I was I was uh, fishing with a guest, uh, an Englishman, on the morning, and he'd been fishing with me for a couple of years, and he never really caught anything, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. But if he could improve his casting uh, or even tying on his knots, uh, that was a great day for him. And he never wanted any fish. <laughs> but that day in particular, I'm, I'm telling you now, this fellow was a kind of a. Just if everybody was like him now, if everybody was like him, Kerry, <laughs> uh, it'd be a very easy job. So anyway, uh, on, that, on that morning particularly, I remember it well. I don't know what I got. I got a lot, but I know what he got uh, on one big long drift the whole way down the lake from the from the river mouth all the way down to the back of Deer Island. All right. He got three, he got three sea trout and he got a, a lovely brown trout as well, right? Yeah. Uh, and I was absolutely delighted for him. And that was about half twelve in the day. And I said to him, we'll do that drift again. And he says, no, he says, I have to go in. He says, uh, I have to bring the wife to Kylemore Abbey, the gardens. Yeah. And I says, uh, I says, Neil, I says, you can't do that. I says, because the snake is alive now today. I says, bring her up tomorrow. I says, don't mind that. I says, we'll stay out. 
And he says, no, no. He says, this is my second day fishing now on the holiday. And I, I promise she's, she's in the hotel waiting for me. So I says, all right, to hell with you. I said, so I, I brought him back anyway. And I went into the hotel. And uh, I didn't want to go by myself because I know when it's going to be a fantastic day, you yeah. need to share it with somebody. Yeah, yeah. There's, I know exactly there's no what I mean. Having a fire. And you know what I mean? It's nice. And especially if it's someone that, you know. Could appreciate it. Yeah, and, and, and maybe somebody who, who might have caught a lot of fish. So there was a young lad, uh, a young lad in the hotel, Maura's daughter, he, he was uh, Dara, he works in the hotel, and uh, he was about 17 or 18 at the time, and I went into him and I says, uh, come on out, and he says, no, he says, I'm, I'm, uh, I have to work on the laundry today. And I said to Maura, I says, uh, can I take him out in the lake for the day? I says for the afternoon. I says because he doesn't want to miss this. So that's what that's what happened. Wow. And incidentally, we're coming down the back of Dare Island, and I said to Dare, I says, uh, "No, we were getting a lot of sea trout." To be honest with you, I said to him, "See that big rock there?" I says, "Throw the flies right down on the right hand side of that big rock." As he cast, you know, he wasn't too experienced in casting at the time. A gust of wind caught him, and it, it threw the flies out. Uh, 20 foot away from where I asked him to throw it. So I flicked the flies down on top of the rock and sure your man came up and took me then. That's what I used to you know. So you, po- so you poached this fish then? I did, yeah, <laughs> I did. But there's no choice, you know. It's like yeah, there yeah. was only one cast there. So, and that's, that's, uh, that was that fish. He was a, he was a cracker. It was a 10-pounder. Yeah. Mm. And what did he take? Yeah, uh, Kate McLaren Dabbler. Wow. Or uh, uh, Muddler. Kate, Kate Muddler. It's one of the best flies on uh I and can I imagine what that fella was saying to his wife when he found out when he came back from the gardens to see that you've had that I fish. Like. Do you know something? I, I didn't, like, obviously I put the fish back. I put uh, almost all my salmon back. I might keep maybe two in a year. Uh, uh, and I fish a lot of different rivers, you know, and, and lakes. You know, I fish Loch Beltra. I fish the Earth. Obviously, I fish all over Connemara. I might try and get to the Blackwater once or twice a year. So I, I'd be salmon fishing a lot. I fish the... The, the weir in Galway, I fish the ridge pool. Uh, I, I fish everywhere for salmon, but uh, I don't. I don't put them back. But that day when your man came in, I didn't tell him I got one. You see, I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to rub it in. <laughs> oh, you, you and did. I didn't write it in. The, I didn't oh. write it in the record book till after he left. You see, because you know, you, you, as a fishery manager and a, and a, a guide, you, you, you don't really want to you know, rub somebody's nose in a ship if they don't yeah. get a fish or something like that because they're paying you for your for your expertise and your knowledge. So you, you don't have to be, you know, you know what I mean. You you, you just try and be modest. And, and when and, you're taking uh, people out, you're really willing them. You want them to catch fish. The pressure is on, isn't it? Uh, no, you don't want, you don't necessarily want them to catch fish. You want them to have a good day. That's, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And like, you know, like one in ten days, you're going to hit it right if yeah. you're lucky. You know what I mean. So, and when you hit it right, then you make the most of it. I remember there was um, a time when I was over there. I think it was something like about 2012, 2013. You gave me a call and you said, "Was I available to guide this young lad for the day on the Derry bus?" That's right, yeah. Derry Clare. That's right. And uh, mm. like I was doing, I was taking people out in the car rip, and I do. I get the pressure. My stomach. I want them to catch a fish. You know. But anyway, I wanted this boy to catch a fish more than any other because the story Absolutely. was his—he just lost his dog that day or the day I before. Remember that. I remember that. Yeah, do you remember? And then it his father that, said, "You know, that, just make it was sure." That day, Kerry. Yeah, it was the same day, wasn't it? It and, was the same uh, day. It was a Labrador. 
yeah. And his um, his head was in the shed, obviously, and he was upset. And his father said, "Look, you know, make, make sure he has a nice day. And if he catches something, it'd be a bonus." And I was willing him. I well, was. I took you did him, it well. Yeah, and I remember I said, "Right, go on your knees now." And he was on his knees on the the butts there, and he was like creeping along, short lining, only probably about twenty foot, if that, you know, along this little the channel and then uh, I was honest to God right it was like some psyche I was holding a rod in my head and I was telling him exactly what to do and he was bang on right he was like whatever I was telling him he was switched on next thing is Kerry you were using an old Jedi mind trick on him were you (laughs) (laughs) but the the, the joy in his face right the line went he struck he'd never had a salmon before right and I, I was surprised to be honest that it, it did come off, like, you know. And then he yeah. stood up then. It, 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 it was scre- the reel was screaming, right? And, you know, like, the line yeah. is whizzing off the reel. And he, he was shaking. It's like you could see him. His whole body was shaking. And then uh, he ran back and forth about two or three times. And uh, I didn't I didn't touch the rod. I let him do everything himself. And then yeah. he brought it in, and he had the fish. I think it was eight, seven, eight pounds, something like that. And uh, I, It was a good fish, I, I remember, yeah. He was over the moon. I think for at least for that moment, he forgot about his dog. You know, yeah. But, uh, he made his day. No, that, that was special. Like any any time you can get, uh, you know, a young boy or a young girl a fish, uh, it's it's special. Like I kind of organised a few uh, like competitions and stuff. You know, for kids and their dads and their granddads and stuff. And I know, uh, you know, I suppose. You know, anyone that's in a position like I'm in, uh, it's our duty to try and get children into fishing, you know, because uh, like when you were growing up, when I was growing up, you know, all our friends fished. Uh, That's not the case anymore. There's very little children taking up fishing. So, you know, I have an obligation to try and get, uh, you know, youngsters into fishing. Just give them them the rods, you know, give them reels, give them lines, give them flies, Uh, you know, just give it a give, give it to the kids. Give it to the kids. They're they're the future. Like they're the future. You know. So and every child, uh, no matter what age, uh, and no matter what sex they are, it doesn't matter. They all have that natural instinct to catch a fish. Yeah. Now what happens when the fish is on is a different story. Some of them panic and some of them think they're hurting the fish and stuff like that. And some of them get scared. You know. But but that instinct is is there in every human being at a young age to catch a fish it's it's uh and and to see the delight on their face you know like every time that i'm on the lake you know you might have one or two kids and you'll have you know a parent with them obviously uh and what i always do then at the at the end of the day first of all as soon as they start getting bored take them in off the lake that's what i do i just say to the parents i said we'll, we'll go now they've had enough there's no you know don't keep them out there uh because if they're not catching fish, it's kind of like, you know, playing football without a ball. You know what I mean? What's the point? Yeah, yeah. So then what you do is teach them how to drive the engine and let them drive the boat back, you know, and just see the look on their face when they're going full steam in the boat. It's, it's just, you know, it's fear and excitement at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and that really makes the day for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you like must... I'll, I'll, tell you a fun, yeah, go on. I'll tell you a funny story here, and I'm just thinking about it. Uh, a young lad, uh, Aidan Guinness is his name, and he's, he's one of the Guinnesses. But when he was born, when he was only about eight weeks old, 
he'd been on the riverbank with me, right? So his his dad uh, is a very good friend of mine, and we fish together all the time every year. So anyway, to make a long story short, about uh, two years ago, he went to, I think he was 18 or 19 years, he went to Eton, the big college in uh, in England, you see, right? right. Yeah. And he had, he, he had to go in to meet the dean in his office, you know, uh, on his first day in, in the college. And the dean would, would, you know, explain to him what's, what's expected and required of him uh, in, in the school, you see. So when he was in the office with the dean, he was, he, was sitting, he was sitting at the dean's desk and he kept looking up on the wall behind uh, the dean at the college, you see. And the dean kept saying to him, Master Guinness, he says, you'd look me in the eye when I'm talking to you. And he said, sorry, sir. And he'd look him in the eye and then his eyes would wander up to a, a picture on the wall behind the dean again, you see. So this was going on anyway for uh, 10 or 15 minutes and the dean was, was roaring and shouting at him and, and young Aidan says, I'm sorry, uh, sir, he says, but I, I can't take my eyes <laughs> off the photo on the wall behind you where you're holding a salmon with Colin Follin uh, outside Lachina Lodge. <laughs> he was a customer of mine. So that was it. He was in then, you know. I bet. You yeah. met, I, I bet you must have... Uh, and fished or, or gillied for a few famous people. Yeah, yeah, uh, you would, you would. Uh, Kerry Jones was one of them. Oh yeah, it's hard to follow him, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what he's famous Are for. You would. <laughs> oh well, he's famous for a few things. <laughs> uh, no, you would. Yeah. Uh, well, there was you, a guy. I can't remember the guy's name now. Uh, he's an actor, isn't he? I think it was last year I saw the photograph of you with him. He was the policeman in. Um, a film. Oh yeah, uh, uh, the guard. The guard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Did you he, take yeah, him out fishing? No, he wasn't fishing. He he just came down to stay in the hotel for uh, for a night to have a, a sing song and stuff. Right. Uh, he wasn't fishing. Though. No, he wasn't. So, actually, what happened was there's uh, th- that film is called the guard, and yeah. there's a scene in it where, where he he says rabbit uh, in a Galway accent, and I suppose I'd have a Galway accent. And I had six Americans for three days, and all they kept saying to me uh, every five minutes was "rabbit," you see, uh, because <laughs> of the Galway accent. And they left. It was a Saturday. They, they they drove out the gate of the hotel in the minibus and they turned right. And as they drove out, Brendan Cleeson drove in. Wow! So I just looked at him and I says, "You're not going to believe this." I says, "That bus of Americans there." I says, "They have me damned." saying rabbit for the last six days for the last three days <laughs> <laughs> but like I'm not going to talk about uh, famous people because uh, it, it's just it's that they're no different than, than you or I but uh, you'd get a lot of politicians actors musicians the yeah, whole yeah. the whole uh, of them uh, none of them really leave an impression on me anyway to be honest with you but uh I tell you, I tell you one about. Uh, no, I don't know. I suppose he's famous, uh, but I, I, I called him a second Egypt anyway. And and uh, here's what happened: was I was uh, I was Gillian on Bandahinch for the first week in July uh, for a fella called Don Carroll. He was Carroll's cigarette. I was Don's Gilly, and always the first seven days in July was was you know year on year off. That was always with Don. And sometimes he'd have a guest with him for the week. And this time he had a guest, a fellow from Belgium, an owl from Belgium. So anyway, well, three days into the fishing, we were fishing uh, beat one in Bonne Hinch, and we were fishing on the far bank. And 
and the near bank there's all rushes and reeds and he hooked a, a fish about five or six pounds and the fish kept, you know, trying to run into the, the, the rushes on him, you know. And I kept saying to my sister, I said, don't, don't let him in there. I said, don't let, pull him out, but pull him out. And he wasn't stopping the fish at all. And, uh, was it a trash the fish went, no, it was a, a grilled salmon. Yeah. The, the fish went straight into the reeds anyway. I said, you fucking idiot. I said, I told you not to let him into the, <laughs> the reeds. And sure, the, the fly, the, we lost the fly as well, which kind of really annoyed me because I only had the one of it and it was working very well that week. So I had to break, I had to snap the line anyway and got it back. So I finished up with them on the, the Friday and I knew they were going to to dinner in Roundstone, into O'Dowd's restaurant in, in Roundstone. You were actually in there with me one yeah, time. Yeah, I remember, yeah. Chowder. You had a liquid so anyway, lunch as well, I think. Yeah, lunch. Do you see how I start? We had chowder. And, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so what happened was uh, I, I drove back to Galway after doing seven days' work with them and I was emptying out my car and lo and behold, Yamano's fishing bag was in in the boot of my car, the Belgian fella. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, you want to see all the, the hardy reels he had and boxes of fully dressed salmon flies and this, that and the other. Like, this was... This was fifty grand worth of stuff now in his in his uh, bag, like a big bag. So I said to myself, I can't be responsible for uh, shipping this back to Belgium. Like I, I, I hardly even knew his name and stuff. So you forgot I it. Jump back in the forgot it. Yeah, it was in my car. I jumped back in the car anyway, and I drove back out to uh, Roundstone, which is about an hour and a half from from Galway, and I went into the restaurant and. I brought in the bag and there he was with Don and there was two other fellas, two kind of big heavies. And I, I said to myself, right, this makes sense now because I had seen them two big fellas, you know, daily for the last week and stuff like that. You know what I mean? They were his bodyguards, right? Right. So Don says, says to me, uh, you'll stay for dinner and you can stay in my house. That's brilliant, uh, gesture what you're after doing there and I said well thank you very much I, I'll enjoy that and he says no he says Colin I, I'll formally introduce you to the King of Belgium says, right Albert the King of Belgium and I went oh hello uh, uh, how do I how do I refer to you I says to him you know and he says well most people will call me uh, your majesty he says but I loved it when you called me a feckin Egypt <laughs> So I'm not, I'm not used to being called a second Egypt, he says. Right, so I says, I've just called the King of Belgium a second Egypt. So that was, that was good, yeah. That's the thing, when you know people are, are somebody, you act differently towards them, don't you? Just you as do, well, you didn't know. You do, of course. Yeah. You, you see, the thing is, like, working, working in, say, in Lachina Lodge, uh, and, and living there, you know, you're, you, you are living there, basically, for, for six months of the year, you're, yeah. You know, my job, you have to be there seven days a week, you know, to answer the phone, to deal with customers, to, you know, you just have to be there. People are coming fishing there every day. They don't only come from Mondays to Fridays, so you have to be there. So you get to see uh, the correct way to deal with kind of high profile and famous people. You just make no fuss about them. You treat them the exact same as everybody else. You yeah. don't... Uh, you don't let it out like that somebody is staying there. You know, we, we have lots of, you know, very famous, you know, uh, Oscar winners, you know, uh, who stay there frequently. 
Uh, and the reason they come back there is because, you know, anonymity and uh, you just don't say anything to them. Just leave them yeah. alone. They're there. It's that place, you know, where people want to come to, uh, you, want to get you know, away. just get their head together. Yeah. So you, you don't and you don't encourage any other guests to, you know, come up looking for pictures or autographs or anything like that, you know, because they'll ask you to say, you know, such and such a fella there. Would you would you would you mind? Uh, Taking a picture with me, and I'd say, "Well, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't really like that." And yeah, you know, yeah. just yeah. believe it. You know, just don't bother. It's I a lovely it's place. place. Kind of the, the, the house itself it's is a lovely place. place. And do you know what? There's oh. something special about the place on one of those wet, misty, horrible days. Just sitting there on one of these, like a Chesterfield. And the whole ambiance of the place. And I tell you what's great. Looking back on record books, isn't it? I could spend hours just reading. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like all the record books there, we, we've had to get them rebound uh, because they're used that often, you know. And you'll have people coming in there, you know, like say last year there, no, there was a, a girl came in there and uh, a girl, she was, I suppose, in her 40s. And she, she came looking, her father had just passed away. And her father used to fish Lachina in the 60s. And she wanted to see, was there any mention in any of the old record books? And sure as God, we found his name in it, you know. So that's happened a lot of times. You will have people coming, looking for their, you know, their ancestors who, who would fish there. And it's very important to uh, to keep them record. I remember, um, well, the two big fish over the years over on Corrib. There's a record book in Burke's. In Clonbur. So if anybody, if they have a great, great day, you've got four trout, three trout on mask or carib, you know, they write their name down. And, um, yeah. and up to the, up to one point, I, I did, I never wrote in it, but it was always by the bar, it's nice in the evening, just have a pint and just look yeah. through the book and it would make great reading. And then there come a time then, at the back of the book, it says, if anybody catches a trout over 18 pounds, we will give them a pint and a meal on the house, isn't it? A steak, rather, on the house. Yeah. So then, lovely. when I when I had the the nineteen pound trout, I was over the moon. <laughs> I signed it, Absolutely. put a little bit of a story in, and then, as I said in the back, so I had a, a pint of Guinness and a steak, and then so what they did then, they upped it the following day. He changed that. Then anybody who has a a fish bigger than nineteen pounds will have a steak, a, a pint of Guinness. So uh, yeah. Anyway, the following year to the day. I did it again with a £24 uh, Ferox. And I done exactly yeah, I the same that. thing then. And then I had the, as <laughs> filled in the story in the book, and I had another steak and another pint of Guinness. So, but it's nice to look back, and it's always there then on the record, you know. It's nice well, for somebody you, in years to come to read it. It is, it is. But, like, from my point of view, say the record book in Ina, uh, like, it's very important that everybody you know, you get them to fill in the book after they've, you know, even if they've only caught one three-quarter on sea trout, you know, put them in the book. Yeah. Because you have people coming there every day. Like a couple will come there for lunch and the wife would be inside in the bar and the husband would be out looking at the record book to see how it's fishing. And if it looks like it's fishing well, then they'll look for me to try and, you know, book a day or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you obviously fly fish. Do people dap on... Um Ina, like they do on the Corrib and the other Western Lakes? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can tell you a couple of things about that. And the, 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 
The first thing I will say to you about dapping is for anybody that's, you know, a dapper and uh, who's listening, this is information now that you would pay for. Do you know the legs that you can put on hoppers and, you know, daddies or whatever? You know, the knotted pheasant tail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Put a big bunch of them on the dapping hook before you put your mayfly on or your grasshopper or whatever. Put, put, put about eight or nine of them on the hook. Tie right. them on the underneath part of the hook and have them drag them down. And you'll meet about five five times more fish than you will with a normal hook. That's and, uh, Tip that, no? Yeah. I fished for a weekend with a friend of mine. Uh, we did carob, mask and carob at the Three Lakes, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'd have the steaks every day with us. And he said to me, you dap now. He says, uh, we're just going to dap. Because I always fly fish with him and he wouldn't be too experienced in fly fishing and uh, he wouldn't be a good caster now to, to tell you the truth. But uh, he was an exceptional dapper. And after the, the on the third day, we're having lunch uh, on mask and Chizzy, he had five lovely trout got uh, on the, the last drift before lunch. And I only rose one or two. And I said to him, I says, Eugene, I says, how in the name of God have you been... Uh, You've been out fishing me every every session for, for these three days. I says, you know, you're meeting, I think you met five times more fish than I did. And he says, go down to the boat there and have a look at my, have a look at my setup. And like we had the same, we had the same rods, you know, we're using uh, 14 foot match rods with uh, little center pin reels in them, you know, pure, pure lightweight course fish and stuff. The same floss and, and everything, yeah. Oh, everything was the exact same. Yeah, the exact same. Sometimes, you know, if there's wind, you don't need floss. You, you wouldn't put floss on at all, you know. Yeah. Uh, 10 or 12 pound uh, fluorocarbon and just a small size 14 uh, sweet corn hook, you know, the gold hooks. But he oh, had oh, a, yeah. the legs tight. Yeah, I always use them sweet corn hooks. Uh, Camison make them. They're for, for course fishing, you know. They're 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 a lovely little hook. I forget the number on them now, but uh, I tie a lot of small small salmon flies on them as well. Yeah. You know, little cascades and stuff on these things. They work out. They work out very very cheap. You know, but they're they're an exceptional sweet corn hooks for for course fishing. But he had the legs on it. But anyway, I'll tell you I'll tell you a story about dapping with uh, an American woman on the carp one year, and I had I think it was about a 17, 17 or eighteen foot one of them old. Horrible, heavy telescopic dappen rods. Yeah, yeah, uh, glass ones. Now, it, yeah, it, massive, massive, big, long thing, about eighteen foot. So anyway, it was a, a big wave, and we're out on the uh, we're out in the carib. I have my dog with me in the boat, and uh, this American one. She's she's about fifty or so, big, big blonde one, uh, very kind of excited kind of a, a lady. <laughs> but anyway, she kept missing the trout when they come up. Uh, she was pulling the fly away from them and she was doing this, that and the other. And eventually, anyway, she hooked one uh, on about 10 inches or so. Nice, small, small trout. And she went berserk. She was roaring and shouting and she was excited. She was wetting herself. And she and she just kept reeling and reeling and reeling and reeling. And I was telling her to stop reeling, you see, because the fish was out of the water. No, at this stage, you see, I said, stop reeling, stop reeling. And she couldn't hear me with all the excitement. And of course, the yeah. dog was going, in the boat as well, you see, and, and she she reeled the trout up to the top eye of the rod. No, eighteen foot up in the up in the sky, you see. And she says, "What happens now?" And I said, "I climb up the rod and I hook him." <laughs> Same thing happened with uh, with uh, 
four Germans came to Van uh, Hinch when I was working there. They came in the camper van, right? And yeah. They wanted to book fish, see. So they, they, uh, the, I suppose they were kind of looked down on, if, if you want to put it kind of that way, you see. So I just says, I says, I said to hell with it. I says, I'll take them. I said, so I went, I went over to my says, I says, I'll take you for the afternoon. They were actually poaching the river first, and then when they when they realised uh, they had to pay for it, then they 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 booked a beat. So. It was kind of strict in them days, so you could only put two on a beat. So I said to them, you're going to have to take two beats, and I'll gilly uh, between the two beats. We'll take two adjacent beats, and we took beat six and beat seven. And I set them up on uh, beat seven, and there's a little bridge, and there's fast-flowing water coming out of the eye of the bridge. And I put one German there, and I said to him, all you have to do is just throw it seven or eight foot in front of you there and just let it swing around and just keep doing that. Like, beat eight is tidal, so the tide was coming, so there would be fresh an opportunity of a fresh fish right at that little spot. Yeah. So I set your man up there and I, I climbed up onto the bridge and I looked down and the next thing, he stuck him on, one about six pound uh, salmon. And I and he was he was reeling like mad, you know, and the, the, the fish was trying to run, you see, and I was there, take your hand off the fucking reel, let him go, let him go, let him go. And by the time I got back down off the bridge, he had he had pulled, pulled the fish up on the bank. You know what I mean? He he wound him in in like six or seven seconds. You know, he just <laughs> luckily, luckily now I had I think twelve or fifteen pound breaking strain on. He just horsed the fish in straight away, wow. down about six pound. He jumped down on top of him. He started punching him to death. You know what I mean? It was the most <laughs> thing I'd ever seen in my life. There was massive celebrations anyway, and. They called the other lads down off the beach and they said to me, come, come to the camper van, come to the camper van for a drink. And I said, okay. So, geez, they had the best of champagne anyway. So I think we had a bottle of champagne each, uh, yeah. five bottles. Wow. Then we went, back to, we went back down the river again and the same lad, I switched him up to beat six, you see, because he, he was a fairly good caster. And the same lad hooked another one, right? Yeah. And again, the same thing. Now, the fish was about eight pounds. It was a bigger fish. The same thing. He wouldn't let him go. He just tried to reel the fish in straight away. And of course, broke. after about 15 seconds, he broken him, you know. So yeah. he turned around, made a massive smile on his face. And I said, I said what, what have you done? And he goes, the fish was strong, but I was stronger. He said, <laughs> and he was proud of himself, you know. <laughs> no, I remember. I first, I lost my very, very first salmon. And uh, it, it, it's a gutting feeling. Oh, I remember I was fishing in uh, Ballina. Uh, I went up for an international, it, it was, and it was on Loch Con. And it was yeah. on, I think it was like the practice day, or one of the days, I didn't go out the lake, and I just fly fished. It's called The Point, just down from the Ridge Pool. And uh, I was fortunate enough, there was a guy there then, Mike... Uh, Tolan, I think his name was actually the guy. Mike Tolan, Mick Tolan, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was the fishery manager, yeah, yeah, he was, lovely he was a guy, very, very good fisherman, yeah. And he said, um, yeah, oh, just fish it. He said, you know, because we were there for the international, it was a big event, and I didn't pay. And he said, oh, I've, I've a couple of hours there. Anyway, fly fished it, and uh, nothing, didn't have nothing. And then it started getting a little bit tidal, and I could see these salmon coming past me, you know. No, I was fly fishing, and then the guy I was with, he said, I, w- I wouldn't waste your time, no. He said, you're not going to catch nothing when they run in like this. Just a yeah. matter of interest, because the water was getting quite high. I said, can I borrow your spinning rod? And he said, yeah, fire away. So I then grabbed this spinning rod with a, a silver, blue and silver toby, 
and I cast it out, and it was just coming around lovely. I've never never spun before. That was the first day I used a spinning rod. Next thing, I got stuck, yeah. and then I, I was trying to pull this Toby out. Now it was stuck. So then I actually tightened up the gears. Then you know, the, so no line could come out, and then yeah. I just put the rod down and just walked out, and it pulled out. I thought brilliant. So anyway. And there, was, there was no weed on it, no, and it just cast out again, forgot. So it didn't address the drag, drags because it was still tight. I cast out then, yeah. bang, into this salmon. Oh, he was 15 pound if he was a pound, right? And I was oh, like, I was in pieces. And this this guy that I was with, you no, know, Decker, he, he's passed away, you know. He ran up to me and he said, oh, and he's all excited. And he came to the net. It, it, didn't, it didn't run off, right, but he was thrashing and thrashing and thrashing. And yeah. I, and already in my head, I couldn't wait to go back and show everyone this salmon. And yeah. that's the fatal mistake. Like me. He was coming to the net. As soon as I first saw the net, just went sideways, bolted, crack, gone. The drag was too tight, wasn't it? And do you know what? Yeah. I threw the rod on the bank. I felt like throwing up. My gut had gone, and it was shaking. And uh, so I've always, I've actually lost a big trout like that once as well. And it's it's a thing which easily done. You're getting snagged, and then you you tighten up the drag to pull out, forgetting then that it's t- still tight. You know, but uh, you learn your lessons. I, I, I suppose I I fished with uh, I've been Gillian now since I was about sixteen and forty eight years of age, so thirty two years of of Gillian constantly, and I've seen hundreds of people lose either a what you said their first salmon or b you know, a big fish, a big trout or a big salmon or whatever. And uh, about half the times it's human error, you know. They, yeah, yeah. They, the, fish, the fish would have got a bit slack or, you know, or, you know, maybe, you know, dogging him a bit when he's on a run or something like that. But about 50% of the time it's it's pilot error. And you, you kind of have to... Uh, Makes it you worse, know, you, you kind of have to... It does and it doesn't, Kerry, because you have to explain to people what they did wrong. Because uh, you know you, you can't you can't just butter it up and say, "Oh, geez, you were unlucky there," you know, fash, or you get the next one kind of thing. You know, you have to tell them, "Well, you didn't let them go," and you know, or you gave them slack line. You know, they're they're the two uh, the two main things that uh, yeah, you well, know, the two main culprits. Which we have to tell the people so so they learn. Yeah. But the other the other half of the people where the fish just can come off, you know, and like I I've lost all the big salmon I've hooked, I've lost them. You know, I've never I've never landed one over sixteen pound. Is it? I've hooked twenty twenty, twenty five pound, thirty pound Alina and I've lost them all, you know. So you you still remember you remember them big fish that you lose for the rest of your life, you know? Yeah, yeah. You yeah, don't yeah. necessarily remember the big ones you caught. Now I know you caught a you know, a few nice trout in the car, but you'll remember them all your life because they're you know, they're, they're legendary and their photos and their stories about, about them and stuff like that. But in general, you don't really remember too many of the big fish you've got. You know, uh, you, you, you really remember the ones you've lost. Yeah. There's no question about it. Yeah. I remember once I was um, trolling on the Carib for the Ferox, and I must have gone about 10 days without any real big fish. And then I was coming to an island, Connors. And uh, it was a. Oh, I know, it's yeah. up as Kong, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. It's a great spot. It goes deep, quite it's quick. It's a great spot for the salmon, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. But the salmon go on the inside, 
where the, do, the big yeah. trout are on the outside in deeper water. So anyway, I was there this one day, and then exactly the same thing happened. I went a little bit too close to Connors, and I got snagged. And so I reeled in, and then I tightened up the drag, pulled out, and I thought, right. And it was round about, I don't know, one, two o'clock. I thought, my stomach was rumbling now. I'm going to have a bite to eat. So I went around the, the lee side of the island, now where the salmon run is, you know, that sort of bit between yeah, the... Yeah, the gravel there. Yeah. yeah. And I, I moored up there. I had some sandwiches and, you know, I had a coffee. And then I spent about an hour there just relaxing. And then I went back in the boat then after an hour. I went around to the outside of the island. And I went out wide, so I, I was coming back onto the point. And yeah. as I'm doing that then, I come past the point and I'm going further out then, sort of about 60, 70 yards out into the lake again. Next thing, the rod on my right-hand side buckled round, right? It was so, it, it was bent so much, I thought it was going to break. And obviously, I'd mm. forgot now about the drag, because just before lunch, I tightened the drag. I, I, couldn't, yeah. I couldn't get, the, the rod was so bent, I couldn't get the rod out of the holder. And next thing, I was trying oh, to push, I was trying to push a little bit more pressure to get the rod out of the holder. Next thing, bang, got snapped, you know. And then, yeah. not, not seeing the fish, I thought was bad enough, right? Next thing, this fish about 30 yards behind, sort of, and at an angle to the boat, leapt. And I haven't seen this too many times. He leapt three times, and you could see the roach in his jaw, and he's leaping, shaking this roach, bang, down, leapt again, bang, down. And then he was, I, I don't know if he was 20, but if he wasn't 20, he wasn't far off, you know? And you know okay. what? I was, uh, my head had gone. My head had totally gone, knowing that fish was hooked good and proper, as only because of my carelessness, you know, that that happened. Yeah. And I was so, yeah. my head had gone so much, right? I just reeled in then, the other rod, and I went straight in. I went, I had a, a cottage at the time then. I filled this tumbler I had with whiskey. I'm not a whiskey drinker, right? I knocked this whiskey back. And I had, my eyes were filling up. And it was just total mess the rest of the day. And then the following day then, I couldn't face the lake. I phoned Stenerline, booked my ferry, and I came home. It really got to me, you know. But uh, yeah. But you learn your lessons the hard way. You do. You do. You learn your lessons. Like, uh, even this year now, I was fishing with, uh, I had three guys from, from the north. The fishing was pretty crap now, to be honest with you. And on the last day, there was a chance of a fish. And uh, they really, really, really wanted a salmon to take home with them. One of, one of them in particular. So basically, the four of us were fishing. And I had uh, crossed over the river to try the, the beach from the far side. I didn't bring any gear with me. I just had my rod with the, uh, with the sunray shadow on it, the tube fly. And I must have hit the... Uh, I must have hit one of the rocks on my back cast or something because uh, one of the hooks was was uh, bent. Uh, oh, I, I, I was in a, dub, a double on it, and one of the dub, one of the hooks, one of uh, one of them was bent. So I said to myself, "Will I go? I'd have to walk all the way around now to get uh, to get another hook, or I can just uh, I can just bend this back, uh, and you're, you're going to be weakening it, you know." And sure, all I did was bend it back. Uh, 
and of course the next cast then I hooked one about seven or eight pounds and he was, he was silver I could see him thrashing around the surface and the hook broke and came back to me so that's laziness uh, and uh, yeah. like that happens everyone regularly yeah. so you don't be lazy you just like when you when you're talking about the drag there uh, I used to do an awful lot of trolling for salmon and lockara in in early June. I mean, a lot of it now carry up around the Glen Shore there. Yeah. And uh, like, if I had somebody in the boat with me, I'd, I'd only fish at dawn and dusk uh, when you be trolling for salmon. If I had somebody in the boat with me, I'd put out four rods. I'd have uh, two out the back, two small uh, solid glass rods, and I'd have uh, I I would troll with double-handed salmon rods, fifteen foot, you know, ten, eleven weight rods which are spinning reels on them and stuff. I just find it, uh, you know, it gets it out a bit further away from the boat. I, I don't believe in rod holders uh, for the side of the boat. I, I prefer to put them uh, across the gunnels on the oar pins. But what I do is when I'm trolling for salmon, I, I have the drag right up in them because if you have the drag anywhere loose at all, uh, you won't hook them because, you know, you, you need that three or four seconds of, you know, solid to make sure you hook them yeah so i have to drag right up on them so it's a kind of uh you know it's instilled on me as soon as the rod goes i just i wait for it to go maybe three or four pulls you know and you know the salmon pull on the on the big rods it's it's a real slow kind of bang 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 and then i lift and only then will i loosen the drag a tiny bit but i i tell you now uh like people look at me and you know, when I'm playing salmon, I, I really don't give them too much line. You know, I just, I get them in like the cork. The cork would be bent in, in you know, when I'm playing fish. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I know the limitations. I've caught so many of them. I know when to take my hand off the reel, for example. I, I just know when I'm when I'm pushing it too much. Yeah. But uh, I started doing that. I'm not losing as many fish and I'm definitely not breaking in fish. You see, the, the thing about playing a fish, playing a big fish is, like, let's just say you have a, a, a double or a treble on, right? If you're taking a two-handy on a big fish, right, he, he, the hole is getting bigger where the hook has gone into his mouth because one way he's going north and it's pulling that way and the next thing he's going south and it's pulling the other way and the hole is getting bigger and bigger yeah. and bigger and bigger. The longer you're playing them. So get them in as fast as possible and, and you, you won't have that. Now, I know the big brown trout, you can't really because, you know, they go on, on unbelievable runs. They can go down deep and they can, you know, come out of the water. They can, you know, they yeah. can do a lot of things. Uh, salmon are fairly, they're fairly predictable. So once you know they're fairly predictable in what they're going to do, I like I put the butt of the rod into my belly button and I literally just horse them in. Yeah. But I know when to take my hand off the reel and from from my experience, you know, with kind of, you know, I suppose 12, 13, 14, 15 pound fish, when you hook them, you'll always get a chance very early to get them into the net. There, there'll always be that one little opportunity within three or four minutes of, of hooking the fish. Not not always, but especially in fast flowing rivers. You'll always get that early opportunity. And if you miss it, you're in for another 15 yeah. or 20 minutes, which is brilliant for some people but for me I like to get them in and, and get them back in the water as fast as possible because yeah. they're worth more money more money to me in the water than they are on the bank you see so yeah, yeah. that's the way I look at it 
And I'll just tell you another thing about uh, a, a thing I learned about hooks and uh, losing fish and landing fish and blah, blah, blah. I was fishing the river in Galway, uh, down below the salmon water. It's the kind of, just for the locals, uh, we call it the high bank. And I used to fish it early in the morning and late at night because I used to like to fish it with the double-handed salmon rod. And during the day, the lads would be spinning it and they'd be fishing the shrimps on it, you see. And if I was to fish the, the, the salmon rod down there, the fly rod, I'd be taking up too much water on them, you see. Uh, so you could you could do with the bubble and fly, you know, because you can control it a lot better. But with the big fly rod, you're taking up too much water on them. So basically, it was race week in Galway, and most of the lads, the locals that would be fishing it were, you know, they'd be in the pub for the week, uh, back on horses and having a few pints and stuff. So I said to myself, I'd go down. I'd seen a pool just above uh, O'Brien's Bridge, and I counted 21 fish in it. And they were there They were there now for about 36 hours. So I said to myself, these lads now will... Uh, these lads will take now, I says, because nobody's been fishing them. And the same amount of fish was in the was in the pool. You could see them with the glasses. So I came down with the fly rod and I put the, the flies over them and nothing happened. Uh, and there was a bit of thunder in the air. And I said to myself, I better get home now, I says, because if this thunder and lightning starts, I don't want to uh, be sticking the carbon rod up in the sky. So I was on my way home and the heavens opened and I took shelter under a... a uh, a school and then the thunder and lightning cleared and I said to myself do you know something I said I'll go back down now because uh, with the rise in air pressure I was yeah. only about 16 at the time yeah. right so this was 1980s so I says with the rise in air pressure I says they might take so I'm back down anyway and I was I was fishing uh, it's just a kind of a, a, a small treble size size 10 size 10 or 12 treble black body flat silver rib black and claret hair in the wing. That's all it was. It was like a stoat's, stoat's tail, but just with a bit of claret hair. I'm back down anyway, and I hooked and lost seven fish, one after the other. Yeah. After about after about the third fish that I lost, I said to myself, jeez, I said, is, is the hook's blunt or something? And I, I, I just lost the fish, and I started reeling the line in, and, and another one took it, and he got off. So I lost two on the same actual cast. And I looked at the hook, and the hook was fine. And I went home, and uh, I said to the my father, I says, you know, I says, I'm after hooking seven fish, and I lost them down the high bank there. What do you think was going on? I says to him, you know, and he says, I haven't a clue. He says, ring Kevin Gill. So Kevin Gill was is like a, a fishing guru to uh, my father and I, especially when we were young. If, you know, if you had any question, you just ask Kevin. Kevin knew everything about uh, what his... Uh, advice would be and he said to me I bet you you tied that fly on a triple hook and I says I did he says tie it on a double and uh, see how you see how you get on so I tied the fly that night on the double and I went down for the next few days I think I got 13 fish out of the pool in, the, in maybe three days and I never lost one I, I landed them all and it was on the double so I ran Kevin back and I says uh I landed 13 fish now in three days on the, the double. Why was that, Kevin? And he says, he says, if you're up on the height and, and you're fishing down and you're fishing a treble, he said, there's too much leverage there. Uh, and, and like, he, he can be hooked in the top and he can be hooked in the bottom of the mouth. And when you're pulling from up on high, 
the, the roof of his mouth can can use the shank of the hook to kind of lever it out. Yeah, and yeah. That's what was happening. He says, but when you have a double on, you're either, you're only going to be hooked in the bottom, yeah, or the top of the mouth. He says you'd only use treble trebles. He says if you were if you were at the same level, i.e., if you were wading uh, in fast flowing water or something like that, fish and salmon. That's when you use your trebles straight on with them. But up on high, you, you have to use doubles. And uh, I've, I've proved that even abroad in the Ashley Falls there up in the Earth on uh, Beat 9, uh, the amount of people that are losing fish up there with trebles. And I say to them, put doubles on, and then they start getting them on the doubles. It's uh, it's not something you'd really realise, you know. No. It does work. That's one place I never fished, the Arif. It's Kerry, uh, you, you have you have to go up there. It's 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 lovely. It's it's a beautiful river. Now, if you hit it right, you know you, you need the water in it. You know, if you get a good flood in it there in uh, in July, even even going into August, uh, and and the water dropping, you know, once it's not coloured and once it's not too high, yeah, yeah, uh, Max, it's it's uh, it's spectacular river to fish, spectacular. There's so much. Actually, I want to talk to you about, about flies as well. I haven't even, we haven't touched on flies yet. What I'll have to do is next time, I'll have to get you to do one of these again with me. When I come over next year, hopefully in the spring, and we can go again to that restaurant. Where was that restaurant we went to? Was it an Indian? And, oh, and Stephen right. Barry. Stephen Barry was yeah, with us as well, the, and we had uh, one or two, just the, a few mojitos. The Asian tea house, the, the Buddha Bear, yeah. Yeah, that was something else that was. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, you missed the uh, Metallica uh, tribute band later on that night. You you, <laughs> you, you chickened out. Oh, there's not my, not my cup of young, tea. Not quite Christy Moore. Young, young Stephen Barry didn't chicken out. <laughs> I know. But it started off as a bit of a quiet night. We went to Monroe's, didn't we? And we thought, oh, we go there, go move on and someone else. But we stayed there for ages. And then we went to this restaurant then. And then we went yeah, back. Sure, that, that, oh, sure. Listen, Kerry. Uh, my epitaph on my gravestone is going to read, Here lies Colin Fallen. These things happen. <laughs> <laughs> and do you remember as well, there was a time, we, we um, oh, it must have been September time, end of, well, or maybe later October. It was just me and you, and we had a, a, a good few pints in many places, Monroe's, and we went to that silent disco as well, which is nuts. <laughs> Will you shut up? <laughs> <laughs> and then we went to this pizza shop, then, right? And we had this humongous pizza. And we sat by the river now, eating pizza. And then on the way back, then, we sat on a wall and we were singing. And there were people passing. And it was like, I don't know, two, three o'clock in the morning, you know. And I think these people must have thought we were like buskers or something, you know. And they were videoing no, us. No, Do you remember that? He was mad. I don't remember that, but I barely remember it. <laughs> I know. Well, uh, sure, look, these things, these things happen, Kerry. These things happen. Yeah, I'll have to remember that one. So, yeah. um, well, just before we wrap this up, again, we'll have to meet up and talk flies, and there's lots more things I want to touch on. Like we've been chatting. Sure, you could, you, 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 I could. I could talk for hours on flies because my, my father was one of the one of the greatest creators of flies, you know what I mean? So yeah. I could talk for hours. We'll have a whole episode okay. on your flies and the patterns yeah. as well. Yeah. Eh? Mm. But just to wrap up, there's one question I ask everyone. Where would you want to be yeah. to make your last cast? You know, I, I was I was thinking about that and 
there's 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 two places uh, I couldn't have one. Uh, I I could only have them both. Right. Uh, I'd be greedy. Uh, the first one is definitely one hundred percent at the Derry Clare Butts on a summer's night, uh, the last hour of sunlight, with kind of medium to low water, not high water, and no wind, really, really calm, beautiful sky, and coming dark, because all the salmon come into the, in between the piers to uh, jump up over the fish counter and, and head up into the river. But they don't really go, go over that counter during the day. They don't like the, they like it at dusk. So that's the kind of time where, you know, you might get 40 minutes where you could meet, you know, three or four salmon in 40 minutes, you know, and you probably get one or two, you know, you get two anyway, you know, a small little nine foot rod, seven weight, eight or 10 pound breaking strain, floating line, and, you know, a size 10 or a size 12, uh, tied on a trout, you know, like a Camazon B175, just an ordinary, like, black and silver that's all they want you know that is just heaven and for me and the other part is to be stuck out in the, the middle of Loch Horeb uh, during the olives a nice wet day plenty of rain and be in some big bay like Valley Curran or Anna Down or somewhere like that and fishing the dries you know fishing your your size 14 and 16 greenwells and F flies and stuff in a, in a, in a downpour of rain that, that's that's heaven. Sounds so idyllic. They're, they're the two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed our chat, and hopefully, if restrictions yeah. allow, um, we'll have a day or two next year out and perhaps make some more stories. Absolutely. Sure. Look, I'll see you. You'll be you'll be back over here as soon as this uh, I will thing be. dies down a bit. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I will be um, looking forward we'll to it. A, we'll, we'll have a day on the car up anyway. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again. Very welcome, Cheers, Kerry. Colin. Thank Take you. care. Bye. Okay. All the best. <laughs> If this is your first time tuning in, make sure you catch all future episodes by clicking subscribe via the links on my website, castingwithkerryjones.com, or via iTunes or your favourite podcatcher. If you like what you've heard on this episode, feel free to drop me a line via my website. Tell me what you've enjoyed, ask a question, or better yet, tell me what you want to hear more of in the future. And if you're looking for additional tips, tackle reviews or venue information, or just want to see what's been hitting the back of my net lately, search up Casting with Kerry Jones on Facebook or follow me on Instagram. And if you still want more, I'm regularly uploading video content onto the Casting with Kerry Jones YouTube channel, so just check that out and subscribe over there too. Wherever you follow, subscribe, comment or message, I look forward to catching up soon for a good fishing chat. Well, I think that's all for now. So until next time, tight lines and don't strike too soon. <laughs> <laughs>